0: Sure, so um, so we've had a couple of weeks. <laughs> Clarence seemed to have broken something open uh, three weeks ago and I followed on on some of those points. And then Leroy came last week with a, a power word and I think he did awesome. I really do. I think, where is he, Leroy? Where are you? There he is. I really... It was such a powerful word last week. And he was limited with time, and it was like he, he went in a direction. And as we, as we listened to what he shared, there were doorways on the left and right that we didn't have time to explore. And um, so I felt in the week that um, it was necessary maybe just to revisit a bit of an umbrella perspective over what he shared. It was very powerful, Leroy. And um, no pressure. We didn't record it because the memory stick was full or something. So I've asked him to re-record it, and I know he's going to do a great job, so we're just going to wait on that. But I wanted to start, I wanted to start today, and I, I brought in a prop. This is my prop for today. Painting. Okay. Okay. And the the beauty about looking at a painting is that you can look at it at once and see everything, can't you? You can see the Eiffel Tower in there and the river and the houses and the people, and you you can focus on something at once. Uh, thanks, Marvin. And you so <laughs> and there's a and there's a building on the right. There's a Eiffel Tower on the left, and there's and there's there's lots of detail there, and you can focus on bits and pieces and kind of. Something attracts your eye and what have you, but it's a it's a picture that shows everything at once. Thank you, Marvin. You can put it down. Thank you, Marvin. You're a great painting displayer. But um, when you stand up here and preach a message, I've got to describe a picture. But I can't show you everything at once because I have to speak one sentence after the next, after the next, after the next. So I. Uh, So the difficulty with preaching is that I I have to try and draw a picture, but I've got to do it sequentially. So I've got to start with the Eiffel Tower, and then I'm gonna, then it's the house, and then it's the, and I don't want to lose you along the way because I'm trying to paint a picture. But I can only do it one piece of the picture at a time. Does that make sense? So, so I want to paint a picture today. So you can't forget what I say in the beginning by the time I get to the end. We've got to try and remember everything, so that you get a decent picture. And so I wanted to start number 1 with this scripture. And it's Romans 10:9 and I'm sure everyone knows it. And it's this. It says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's really the fundamental scripture of our faith, isn't it? You confess and confession is actually two ways. Number 1 Confession is, I'm not holy and he is. There's a confession of faith there. You confess with your mouth, Lord, you are holy and I'm not. Because I'm filled with sin. I'm a sinner. And then the second part of that is that you believe where in your heart. What? That he rose from the dead. You see, if Jesus never rose from the dead, then we can take the Bible and we can throw it away. There's no point because his resurrection represented overcoming death and death is the consequence of sin Jesus never sinned but he died on a cross to pay the price for sin that actually we should pay that makes sense we confess we believe you know when he bled when he bled blood when he when he shed blood in the garden of gethsemane Asking the cup to be taken away from him. I don't think it was because of the suffering that he was about to endure. I don't want to undermine the suffering. He was beaten. He had thorns pumped into his head. He he was stripped of his clothes, humiliated. And then he had nails driven through his hands and his feet. And he was nailed to a wooden cross. And he was put up in the most humiliating state to die. I don't think that physical pain compared to the pain... That came when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Like the father once and only once turned away from the son because he carried whose sin? Your sin. My sin. On the cross. The father looked away from him in that moment. And Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Because he couldn't look at his son. He was carrying our, our in that moment that separation from the father is what caused him he knew that separation was coming it's what caused him to bleed to to shed blood when he was praying i don't want to be separated from my father and in that moment he was that's the price that he paid so that scripture if you confess with your mouth that he is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead then you will be saved It's not a 98% guarantee, it's not a 99% guarantee, it's a 100% guarantee. Ask the man on the cross that died next to Jesus. There wasn't a 1% doubt, there was a 100% guarantee you're going to heaven. So what I want to share today, it's not about the gift of salvation. If you confess and you believe in your heart, you will go to heaven. Okay? But what about tomorrow? What about next week? See, that scripture says that you can do absolutely nothing to guarantee your place in the kingdom of heaven one day. Okay? Do we agree on that? That's a 100% guarantee. I want to read scriptures to you today that show that you can't do anything to guarantee your place. But you've got to do a lot. To make sure you don't lose your place. We cannot work to earn that place. But we better make sure that we hold on when we've got that place. Make sense? Philippians 2 verse 12. Paul writes and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, there's something, have you? You've done as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking to fellow believers. I know Pierre works out. Have you seen his have you seen his canons? That, they don't happen by accident. That comes from working out. Paul says. Continue, continue, in other words, work hard at working out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's an effort required. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, he says, For it is God who in turn works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see, we don't get to Romans 10:9 and go, I'm saved. Hallelujah, I'm done. Well, unless you're hanging on a cross next to Jesus. But if you're not hanging on the cross next to Jesus, then God has a purpose for you. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose for you. So is salvation through works? No. But finding out what God wants for your life takes effort. Something you need to do. 1 Timothy 1, he writes, he's talking to Timothy now, Paul, and he says, cling, cling. Man, if you're drifting around in the ocean with a a, a buoy or something that's floating, you're going to hold on, aren't you? You know, if you let go, you're going down. He says to Timothy, he says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your faith. Conscience, clear. God speaks to us through our conscience. Do you know that? For some people have what? Deliberately violated their consciences. They've deliberately violated what God has said to them. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So we can't sit on to Romans 10 line and say, I'm saved and it's done. No, 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 no. You've got to cling. There's There's a responsibility. There's a requirement. Not of earning your salvation, holding on to, and so I wanted to expand a little bit you know and and, and Leroy last week made, made such a powerful he made such a powerful uh, point. the grip of sexual immorality is almost greater than the grip of addiction to drugs or alcohol. said men rightly so men are attracted by what they see and women are attracted by what they hear but that's not completely true because good-looking men attract more am i right i know i've seen it but either sex men and women will use both to their advantage Okay? We joke, men are from Mars and well, women are from another planet. They say Venus, but I don't know, I haven't been there. But the truth is that men and women are wired differently. And women can do things that men can't do. And men can do things that women can't do. And neither is greater than the other. Okay? Be absolutely clear about that. But their strengths and weaknesses are different. And I compare myself to my wife, and she has an incredible talent to do things I can't do. And I recognize that, and I honor her for that. And all I can do is pick up a bag that's heavier. That's my strength. But we are, we are wired differently, and our strengths and weaknesses complement one another to become one. But the point is this, and I, I wanted to highlight this. And this is where women, today, and I'm scared to get in the debate. And I know if this goes online, I could get into a lot of trouble, you know? The whole women's lib thing, and you know, you can't tell me what I must wear, and I I have the freedom to dress like I want to, and so forth, and so forth. Let me tell you something. Women who dress provocatively, dot, dot, dot. Let me put it like this. Who's ever watched a bullfight on TV? I can't say I've watched a full bullfight. But I have seen a matador standing there with a big flag or piece of material in his hand. And it's normally red in color. And when the bull comes running, the bull doesn't run for the matador. He runs for the red. Okay? And you will keep running for the red. And every time in Spain, they still kill the bulls. And the matador stabs the bull and eventually kills the bull. The bull's not going for the matador. The bull's going for the red. So... Wouldn't it be stupid then to dress in red and go and walk through a paddock full of bulls? Just not a wise thing to do because the bull sees red and he's going to go for the red. And if you dress provocatively, what does a man see? Because a man can't help what he sees because that's what he sees. He sees short, low... He can't help himself because men are wired that way. Does it make sense? So it's not to tell you how to dress, just be wise about how you dress, because men men don't <laughs> don't always have a control over that. I was thinking of sharks this weekend. Statistics show if you take a drop of blood and you drop it in a swimming pool, an Olympic size swimming pool, and I mean when you drop the blood in you can see it. Give it five minutes, you can't see it anymore, but it spreads. You can Drop a drop of blood in the ocean, and within, depending on the currents and that, once that blood is spread a kilometer away, it's, there's not nothing left of it. It's just spread out. But a shark will pick up that scent a kilometer away, and he'll follow the scent looking for the blood. Wouldn't be wise to go surfing if you're bleeding, would it? Sharks are going to find you, because that's they just follow the scent. That's all they know. They're hungry and looking for food all the time. They'll come find you. So the point I'm, I'm trying to make is that we need to be mindful of how we are to one another. The way we talk, the way we walk, how we dress, how we communicate. Do our, what kind of response do our actions bring? Out of respect for one another, we need to guard what we do, on the impact it might have on others. So, I was reading some stats, and I mean, Leroy was talking about uh, sexual immorality last week, and I was reading some stats this week, on. I just quickly looked up porn, probably the biggest downfall in society today, and these were the stats, and this is probably American statistics, but they've done some, um, um, what do you call it? Yeah, um, surveys. Christian men, 18 to 30 years old. Christian men, 18 to 30 years old. 77% look at porn monthly. Christian men. 36% daily. 32% admit addiction. A third. And in fact, another 12% think they might be addicted, but they're not sure. So that's nearly half the men that look at porn are addicted. Striking statistics. The world is not a good place if you battle with stuff like that. So the focus last week was on that. But you might sit there and go, well, um, that's okay because I'm not stuck in that. So I'm fine. Bypass me, moving on swiftly, I'm okay. And that's where I wanted to come in today and say, um, hold on. Before we jump forward, I want to do just, it feels like God is doing a reset in this congregation. From last year, change of church, new leadership, the things that happened last year, it feels like there's a, Just a time of reset. And it feels like the last three weeks have been really that. Between Clarence and Leroy and so forth. And so I wanted to continue that a little bit. And the point I wanted to discuss today was sin. How sin hinders us. And it might not be sexual immorality, but it might be something else. The Bible is clear. Sin seeks to ensnare us or entangle us. The devil is prowling around all the time looking for opportunity. And I wanted to use two examples from the Old Testament, where the first example is this guy got it right. He understood. It was Joseph. And we all know the story of Joseph. Joseph was the youngest of 12 brothers. He was the most loved by his dad. He got the best coat. He had dreams that his family would bow down to him one day. If you ever have dreams like that, don't share that with your family because they're going to sell you into slavery, which is what they did with him. I mean, how stupid can you be? Joseph gets sold and fast forward and he ends up in Potiphar's house. Okay? And the Bible says that God blessed him in everything that he did. And Potiphar saw this. So Potiphar raised him up and put him in charge. And if we go to... um, uh, Genesis 39 verse 6. Read this with me. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. A uh, foreigner in my house. Trust him. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph <laughs> was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. And he said, with me in charge, my master. Now listen to this. It's almost a little bit arrogant, but listen to this. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. It's not arrogance. It's just recognizing who you are. I'm in charge, I'm entrusted, and I'm not going to let him down. Because he says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. And then he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not sin against you, not sin against my master, not sin against me. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? See, Joseph knew that God would know if he did something. And the interesting thing about the story of Joseph is the Bible has no record of God ever speaking to Joseph. Never. But Joseph knew his place. He sold out for God. He was patient on God. And here he says, How can I do such a wicked thing? And sin against God. And the point I wanted to make was. Where are you? Maybe nobody knows something that's going on in your life, but you know. And I would jolt you today does God, if you know God. You can't hide anything from Him. So what we do then is we defend and we justify and we say, Well, you know, God dealt severely in those days with people, but today we live under grace. God doesn't make the ground open up anymore and swallow people. He doesn't send plague. Well, he, do, he doesn't do it as often as He did in the Old Testament. He doesn't send plagues. He doesn't send, uh, when David fell, He sent the angel to go and kill 170,000 or something like that. He, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't respond as severely today. We're under grace. We say, well, didn't the cross, the blood of Jesus, doesn't it cover all my sin? So here's the thing. Before Jesus, there was a curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from mankind. Okay? After Jesus, the temple has been replaced by the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Christ that holds back the wrath of God. Actually. God is as wrathful today as he was back then. Don't be fooled. We just prevent it. We protect it from His wrath right now by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same. Jesus Christ is God. And He's the Son of God. It says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God of the Old Testament and He's the God of the New Testament. He hasn't changed. And so we need to we need to analyze our lives. We need to be looking in the mirror all the time. Asking, Lord, what's with me? How am I doing? What do I need to make right? Romans 12, verse 1. The writer writes, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, holy, to remain holy. God is holy and he demands holiness from us, and I'm going to show you, (laughs) and you know, if you want to give someone the chrills you say to them listen i'd love you to read leviticus this week we joke about that so i read leviticus i'm working my way through the bible again and then i got into numbers and i got halfway through numbers and i'm like lord why am i what what am i supposed to learn here and just like you ask he showed a chapter to me chapter 19 don't put it up just yet and um He gives lots of rules and regulations. This is what you must do, and this is how you must do a wave offering, and this is how you must do a this offering and a that offering and so forth. And chapter 19 talks about a cleansing offering. And he gives instructions to the Israelites, to to Moses and Aaron. He says, take a red heifer, which is a female cow, and take her outside the camp, and you slaughter her, and you burn, and you take the ashes, and blah, 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 and you mix it with water, and then you bring that water. And I'm going to read to you. Now listen to what he says. Verse 9, he says, A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. And they are to be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for the purification of sin. Keep that in mind. It's for the purification of sin. Then he goes on to say, God says to him, The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he too will be unclean until evening. Notice the word unclean. So he says, for the, It's for the purification of sin. Then he says, That guy will be unclean till the evening. This will be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the foreigners residing among them. And he says, Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. And then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and the seventh days, they will not be clean. And if they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they will defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel. He's just given instruction for this water to be prepared for the purification of sin. But if you touch a dead body, you'll become unclean. The same thing. Unclean sin. The same thing. In God's eyes, His holy God, He says you've become unclean. You need to purify yourself with the water on the third day and the seventh day. He goes on. He says because... Verse 14, he says, This is the law that applies when a person dies in a tent. Now, remember, the Israelites were two or three million. They'd been given 40 years to die out an entire generation. So there were people dying probably all the time, being found dead in their tent. Somebody had to go in there and take them out and become unclean in the eyes of God, bury them, go through the rituals of burial, and then make themselves clean on the third day and the seventh day. So there's this constant process of you're clean today. Oh, tomorrow you're unclean because you buried somebody. Now you go and clean yourself using the water and you clean again. Oh, somebody else dies. And he even goes on to say in verse 16, anyone out in the open who touches someone who's been killed with a sword or someone who's died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. Oh, my hat. It's like you can't move around without getting unclean. Yes, well, that's what sin does to us. It's constantly chasing us. It's constantly looking to ensnare us. They were given this water to cleanse themselves. We don't have the water today. What we have is repentance. Before the blood of Jesus, there was water. There were rituals. After Christ's death and resurrection, we only have The weapon of repentance. To do what? To cleanse. How often do we cleanse ourselves? As often as we need to. We need to live in this place of repentance. So our lives become a cycle. We clean and then we become unclean. Why? Because life takes over. Things happen in our lives. What do we do then? We go to Christ. We repent, and we are made clean. And we keep going through the cycle. We don't stop at Romans ten nine and say, "Well, I've confessed with my lips and I've believed in my heart, so I'm saved, so I'm done." No, 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 no. There's this process of remaining clean. If we look at the parable of the ten virgins that were waiting for the wedding feast to happen, and when the bridegroom finally arrived, five were ready and five weren't. Five were ready. Five were. Why weren't the other five ready? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we can add on to that. They weren't filled with the Spirit. Maybe they hadn't repented. Maybe they weren't in that place of repentance. And how does that work? Well, it starts with a willing heart. A desire on your part to play your part. I've read this before, and I'm going to read it again, because this psalm just shouts out to me. 51.16, it says, the, the writer writes, and he says, You, Lord God, do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not even take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, which you, God, will not despise. Do you remember, well, you would know the story. Israel rebelled many times in the desert. There was a time where God unleashed snakes on them. Remember? And Moses cried out, and God said, Now go make a snake out of bronze and put it in the camp, and everyone who looks at it will be healed and will not die. Well, that snake has been replaced by the cross. We don't look at the snake. We look at the cross. It's everything that's embodied in the cross that saves us. It's Christ taking all our sins to the cross. It's his blood being shed on the cross that washes us free. It's when he's taken off the cross and buried, and three days later he rises and he overcomes death. It's that whole picture that we look at. For what? For healing. When we repent, we look to the cross. Cross is Jesus is our intercessor. Before God. He's praying for us. When we stand before God one day in judgment, which book are they going to look in? The Lamb's book of life. For your name. It's not there. Okay, to heaven. Who puts your name there? Jesus. (laughs) He's He's our bridge between us and the Father. He's our bridge between us and God. He's everything. That's why we highlight the cross so often. And we don't celebrate Jesus dying on a cross. We celebrate that that was the step, first step, before resurrection that brings us salvation. Brilliant. Thank you, Lord. That sin prowls around. So what happens? We take our eyes off the cross when we go to work because we have to go to work. And then we get angry. You know, when we sit here and we go, well, I'm okay, because I never murdered anyone. Well, Jesus said, oh, really? Well, if you're angry at your brother, you deserve the same penalty as the man who murdered someone. Because you got angry with him." Jesus said, you know, don't commit adultery. The Old Testament, the commandment says, don't commit adultery. Well, I haven't slept with anyone. But you're adulterating with your eyes. It's, It's the same thing. We just don't know when death is coming, and that's the sad thing. You see, the man on the cross that recognized Jesus, he died. He went to heaven. My partner came down from Joburg for two funerals last weekend. One of them was a friend of his who happened to be working on his farm on a tractor, and he had a a heart attack. He fell off the tractor. I think he would have survived, but the tractor rode over him. When is your day? We don't know. We don't know. Can we be holy and pleasing on that day? I I don't know that we can. But can we stand before the Lord and say, well, I've made every effort. I recognize my shortcomings. Lord, I've made right for my uncleanness whenever I needed to. That's all that God wants. It's a contrite heart. says, Lord, I've made every effort. I didn't sit back on my laurels and go, well, I'm okay because Christ has paid the price for me. No, 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 no recognize I'm a human being, a sinful being, making right with the Lord all the time. I'll come to land with a couple of scriptures. Romans 12 verse 2. How do we do this? Well, the Bible tells us. It says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then there's an echo of the scripture I read earlier. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is for you. He's good, he's pleasing, and he's perfect Bear with me as I read out of Colossians. Such an echo. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We need to seek those things. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is with you, who is your life, appears, then you will also be, sorry, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly. This is what we are required to do. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly. In your sexual immorality, your impurity, your passion, your evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. And he says here, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then in verse 12, he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together. Go read that. Read it in your quiet time. Read it in your spare time. There's a cry from God. Yes, I've saved you. But we need to go from glory to glory. God doesn't take us from A to Z in a day. He takes us from A to B. And then B to C. And then C to D. And then sometimes we slip back to C. And then He's glorious and patient and kind and loving. Then He takes us back to D. And then to E. And then sometimes we slip right back to B. And that's okay. As long as you come before Him. Say, Lord, I think I messed up. Repentance is two things. Confession. Lord, I think I messed up. And repentance is turning away. Lord, would you help me turn away from what I've done? And if you repeat it here again, that's okay. Lord, I want to say, I'm sorry, I've done it again. Would you help me turn away? And you keep doing that over and over and over and over. It doesn't matter. Peter says, how many times shall I forgive? Seven. Jesus said, no, seven times seventy. Oh. 490 times really oh yes because that's how much god is willing to forgive us over and over and you know what you'll get to that day where you won't fall again and god will take you to f and g and he'll take you from glory to glory to glory because his desire is that we stop we look like him and we will not in this life but we'll look a bit more look a little bit more every day but we have to put the effort in God doesn't do it for us he does it with us but if we don't he can't got to look to the cross we've got to make his identity ours got to copy him we've got to embrace him We've got to to want our lives to look like Jesus' lives. So I want to ask you today, has a snake bitten you? If it has, you want to repent. I want to ask you today, is there something that's holding on to you? Something that you can't let go? Because if that's you, we need to confess. Quietly or open? Why don't you close your eyes?